Welcome to the Ultimate Coach Podcast, Conversations from Being, inspired by the book, The Ultimate Coach, written by Amy Hardison and Alan Thompson. Join us each week with the intention of expanding your state of being, and your experience will be remarkable. Remember, this is a podcast about being. It is a podcast about you. To explore more deeply, visit theultimatecoachbook.com. Now, enjoy today's conversation from B. Hey guys, today we have a very, 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 very special guest with us. That is you. Yes, you have heard it right. It's you, the listener. Whatever you're going to witness, listen and see in this interview is all about you. Everything is about you. Steve Hardison, by being his majestic self, will help you discover your majestic yourself. If I start writing the greatness about Steve Hardison, the video length would not be sufficient. So without uh-huh. any further delay, let us welcome Steve Hardison and you to the show. Thanks, Steve, for coming to the show. Oh, BNS, I love your energy and your enthusiasm and your focus. And I'm so happy to be with people from India. I am so excited to be with you tonight. Thank you so much, Steve. It's a uh, blessing to be talking with you. And I know that we will be helping as many people as possible today. <laughs> so, Steve, before we go into the questions, can you talk about the Mumbai event that will happen on 25th February this year? It's a blessing to see you in person and discover our being. What yeah. one needs to do before attending the event, Steve? Yes, this event is literally, and I love the way you opened it up, BNS. This event is about your listener, the person in the seat. There will be people that come to speak. There will be people helping. But who the celebrity is in this event is the person that's sitting there, the one you talked about. This is the program for you. So what we're wanting people to do is to understand the reason we're putting this on is you. There's no one here wherever they're flying from, however they're helping, Ranjan Kumar, all the people that are helping him, no one here is being paid anything. All of what we're doing is we're donating it. So it's going to be a place of being for people serving each other. And the recipient of the blessing is the person sitting in the chair. The speakers that are coming over are good, but it's not about them. It's about their ability to have someone that's in the chair see how they can grow from their own being so that when one speaker's speaking and the other six are listening, they're participants. This isn't coming to get information from somebody off of a hill. This is us creating in a room the state of being. That's the intention of it. Yes, Steve, and uh, all the 100% of the profits are going to Daughters of India, right? So can you that's talk correct. about that? That's correct. I am paying my own way over. The other speakers are paying their own way over. I have purchased a ticket for my wife, $500. I purchased a ticket for me for $500. Wow. I have purchased no a ticket myself. Is, <laughs> the only person that's profiting off of this is the Indian population by assisting these young women out of teenage prostitution and sex trafficking. That's who we're being. We're being generous in a contribution to India and the people that are in India. We want people to be in that room that want to understand who they're being. And you need to know I have a passion about India. My own personal experience from people I've met, clients that I have, 
Ankush Jain in, in uh, London is a client. Raghav, Parkash, these are great Indian men. And I know that coming to India is a sacred place, the country, the traditions. I'm so excited to have people come and be there because it will be something that goes throughout the world because of the Indian people and the way in which they love, serve, and their spirituality. I'm excited to be there. Yes, too. Uh, we are so excited to meet you and uh, to see ourselves uh, on the stage. <laughs> so, thanks, Stu. Stu, my first question is, the dominant feeling of your childhood is that you felt alone. How did you not let that emotion dictate the course of your life later on? Yes, as a young person, and I would ask your audience as they listen to hear the story of their own life in my what I'm sharing. As a young person, I was really confused. My my father left our home and my mom raised five kids alone. So I had lots of questions as a young man, and I would really contemplate them. I became very thoughtful at a young age. What am I thinking? doing the thinking? What's happening here? Who am I? What's my value? And funny enough, I just kept looking at answering those questions. And I've been answering those questions my whole life. So I would sit out in a little shed where I'd see the sun come in and I would just think about living and about my life. And from that, lots of ideas came to me, including how to thrive and survive inside of a very difficult situation. And I wouldn't change any of it. All the things that happened in my life have made me who I am. I'm grateful for my past. I never wallow in it. I never try to get sympathy from my past. I only use my past to lead, guide, and inspire people. That's it. So I had a beautiful, beautiful family of what I got to learn from my family and all the challenges that any family has. Thank you, Steve. Steve, how do I access who I am being? Well, it, <laughs> that is such a good question, and it's so deep. So I'm going to say it like this. It would be like you telling me to show you a diamond, and I pick up the diamond, and you see one facet of it, and there are a bunch of facets of the diamond. There's not just one. There's a bunch. And so that answer to that question is deep, but it's also simple. Beingness as a possibility is something that we're creating when we think and we speak. If who I'm being in my mind or what I think is I'm not successful, I can't do that, they don't like me, over time those ideas that I have will be become part of me. So who I will become is I am that they don't like me. I am that I can't succeed. I am that I'm not liked. Well, as I do that long enough, I become that. So the first place is to be aware that there is a being over there in you and in me and every one of your listeners and that we actually have something to say about how that being bees, how that being bees. We get to choose it. And the purpose of everything we're doing, the book you may speak about or the event we're going to, is about having someone get access to understand their own being and how to create it or modify it so it serves them. No one is not being at any time. At right now, any listener that's listening to me and you, some of them are listening from they're being skeptical. So they'll hear skeptical information. Somebody else is being thankful. They'll be glad of what I'm saying. Someone else will be inspired. They'll be inspired. They're choosing who they're being. 
So if my life isn't working because I think, wow, this is never going to work for me, I might want to start thinking a different thought so it shifts my being. Then at that point, as a possibility, the being, the who you're being, the who's anybody's being, every doing, every deed that has ever been done, that will ever be done, that has ever been done, or that will ever be done, is growing out of who you're being. So if I'm being loving, I'm loving you, I'm being loving, my doing will be loving doing. If I'm being hateful or resentful, my doing will be hateful and resentful. Being as a possibility is the seed of all doing. If I plant an apricot, I get an apricot tree. I don't plant an apricot and get a watermelon. We can see that in nature of fruit, or if I get two Pomeranian pups, I don't get a dachshund. I don't get a German shepherd. The seed becomes the fruit. As a possibility, understanding the seed of my being alters everything I do. I can quit trying to manage all my doing and simply understand who I'm being and make the adjustments here instead of trying to deal with everything out there. That's a short idea of being. Thank you, Steve. Steve, if you could only pass on one life lesson to your most loved ones, what would that be? That uh, the capacity to love is endless and that all people are worthy of love and they're not worthy of judgment as a choice. Even when we think it's righteous to judge them or condemn them, that love is really the key to living. In fact, I think when we talk about this being, that the ultimate state of being is love, and we can practice it. And I would have my children and my grandchildren know that love isn't just a concept. It's a verb, and it's an experience. When someone is loving someone else, coming from love, they'll do loving things. That would be what I would share with them, the importance and value of love. Absolutely, Steve. Yes, thank you. Steve, I just want to ask the backstory of this book. How did it happen? You mentioned that you never wanted to write a book about you. And I know that this, is, this book is not about you when we really read it. So can you talk about it? Yes, I'll, I'll try to keep this as short as possible. I could spend two hours to tell the background. I'll, I'll keep it short as possible. I live in the United States in a place called Mesa, Arizona. And what I do for a living is I work with people Some people call me a coach. I would prefer to call me a mind surgeon or a soul orthodontist because I work with ideas and states of being. So I work in an office where when a client comes in, I'm not spray painting them with information. All, all the work I'm going to do exists in them. I listen to them and I work with the states of being that are there. So back in 2013, a magnificent man by the name of Alan Thompson He's the man who did the research. You hold the book up, that's his name. He came over to do what was called a be with session with me. So he's just coming to see who I am, explore this. What's, what's this animal like? Who is this guy? And while we're sitting in my office, he tells me what he does. And he, his, uh, he, he coaches savant children, prodigies, and gifted children. And in that conversation, he was experiencing my being with him, not my doing. And he said, oh, my gosh, we got to put this in a book. We got to write about this. And I said, Alan, this will never be in a book. This is my book. I am my book. 
I'm going to live my book. I'm not going to broadcast it, teach it, do tapes, and people can do that. There's a need for that, but I'm not going to. So he said, can I write about my experience here? And he did, and I said, yes. And for the next eight years, he kept wanting to convince me that we should write a book about being. And I said, Alan, you cannot write a book about being because the minute you're doing it, you've lost being. Being is a state. It's not a definition. It's not an understanding of laws, rules, words. It's a spiritual nature of who we're being. And I don't believe that can be done. If I did write a book, Alan, the only book I would write would be a book about being. And I believe the minute you start doing that, you've lost what it is. For eight years, he kept asking me to do that. I'd seen him one time. April 19th, 2020, he sends me an email saying that God nudged him to write a biography on my life. I told him to give me a call and I'll talk him down off the ledge. That that isn't going to be happening. I don't need a biographer to write about me. I don't need anybody to know I exist except for my God, my wife, and the person in front of me. And I declined and declined and declined. And then he called and we talked. And he said, you're not hiring a biographer. I'm going to do this as a gift to you. I think we should allow people to see what being can be. He sent 622 pages of research. My wife looked at it and said it needs a narrative. She spent almost two years writing a narrative. The book was, quote, done, except it wasn't for me because it still wasn't about who's reading the book. They just have a bunch of stories. So I made that a matter of meditation and prayer. And I was awakened and brought, I'm in an office right now, brought out of my bed and told what to write and told this goes on the back cover. So now with the three people, my wife, Alan Thompson and Chris Nelson, the editor, it's like, you you can't put something like that on the back of a book. I said, oh yes, we can. Because that information is what makes this book so valuable so somebody can learn about their being. Not about me, about their being. I go to bed the next night, still in meditation and prayer. I'm awakened into this exact office over there at my desk instead of my wife's. And the front two pages that are in the book come through me. I write them down. I now go back to these three who thought I was crazy to put this thing on the back cover. And now I'm saying I want two pages in the front. And my wife, who's a writer, said, you have a foreword. You have an introduction. You can't stick two pages up in front of that. I said, if we don't put the pages there, so people read this about them, this book will not go out. I do not need a book. I need someone to have an experience about their being. So that's exactly how it came, short version. And people that will pick up that book and read the back cover and the front two pages and read that book about themselves, they will not be the same when they're reading that book. Not my opinion. My experience with thousands of people from every different walk of life. So did I answer your question about that? Those questions are powerful and they're powerful to the reader. Steve, actually, I'm displaying the back cover and the front two pages in front of everyone uh, so that you can see it. And yes, absolutely, Steve. And I would like to share what I learned from the book. Um, See, Steve, as you said, to be like 100% honest, if a person is reading this as a biography, they would think it as a cool story. Yes. It's almost like a novel. To them because uh, yeah. they read it, but when they really read it the way it is supposed to be, for example, reading from from the back and starting two pages, 
the things will completely become completely different the reason yes. uh, i am so thankful to emily penton here because she is the one who asked me to read this book yes. many, many many times and i read it the way it's supposed to be read and i know this tip <laughs> if we read from that being every page will show you something every page yes. will show you something from your life that you can improve so the re- yes. and i did so many miraculous things after i read this book as a proof as a testimony to this and i sent you so many times that it's yes. so easy to be that but yes. we do not see that ourselves like we forgot to see ourselves like that once you yeah. read from that angle and you read every page and you will see the opportunities that's there so everything yeah. will become an opportunity from that and then we can yeah. re- literally grab those opportunities and yeah. guys i'm saying this you know that i do not say this often but please read this book as it is supposed to be please read it as it is instructed because you will be you will be unlocking a new whole level of being once you re- read this and thank you steve for this book really i'm really grateful <laughs> Could could I say something here please yes, BNS? Anything. I want I want to acknowledge you for your passion in getting clear understanding of how to read it. It's why you received the results. If someone's just going to get that book and go through it and judge what's in it, they'll miss the book. Yes. If they will read it based on the questions, any person in India, in Vietnam, in in the Philippines, in Peru, they will have an experience of their own being mm. the purpose of the book is to introduce someone to their own being i'll give you an example i have a client named clay mask he is going to be someone that will be speaking virtually from the united states he's the ceo of a company called keep he's in the book i coached him sitting across from me t- for 12 years he understands things i said your assignment is to go back and read the book again except read it about you he goes he's like what i already read it no go read it about you he comes back he's emotional he tells me the different things that he's had because of the experience of reading that way and i said what do you want to do about this he said i'm not going to make my employees read it i'm going to encourage them to read it and any employee who wants to read it i'm going to sit down with them one at a time and tell them how to read it about themselves because i know if they have the breakthrough in their being i do that with so many employees everything gets great clate bought out of his own pocket 380 copies yes. that day for people to read about them reading the fr- back cover and the front two pages i promise your listeners get this book i don't need to sell a book i don't need money for a book i don't need fame my intention of life is to have people see that the access and power is within them out of who they're choosing to be and they have choice about that steve and just one more <clears throat> thing to add in this from my side is that if you read the book the way it is supposed to be read it will become a mirror that can show you itself so that you can be more and one more thing is that the fa- it will turn this biography into an autobiography of our- ourselves oh say that again that's brilliant bns you're brilliant say that again 
I will steal. Uh, this thought popped in my mind suddenly, and I think this is true. This, if you read without context and without the instructions, it will be a biography. But if you read it the way it's supposed to be, it will become your autobiography, and you can always wow. change your autobiography anytime. Wow! Wow! Brilliant! Thank you, Steve. Wow, S- Steve, I have a question for you. Steve, uh, you know that strangers are capable of doing extraordinary things. How did you discover this? Many people don't believe that and say that. Why would strangers do anything for anyone? Oh, so so is your question? Uh, people are afraid of strangers. They don't think strangers can do something. Why would you approach a stranger? Yes. So I'm going to go back to Bean to answer your question. See, if I approach a stranger. And again, I'm trying to keep this on the most simplistic level, and people could debate in their head about it. Don't do that. Try to find how this might work, all the listeners there, and there'll be something great to see. This isn't the answer. It's not perfect, but this would get someone to see why I would approach a stranger or help. I'm not saying don't be cautious, don't be careful. Do that, but watch. If inside myself, who I'm being is I can't trust anyone, it will be very difficult to approach a stranger. And most of us have voices in us that really, really keep us from being ourselves. I've created and worked with my being such that I speak, I am loving kindness. Love is I am that. So I don't have any strangers. It changes everything. My trip from the United States to India will be extraordinary, and I will meet all sorts of people I've never met before because of the love I have for myself and other people. I frequently say, and I'm not talking about this from a religious point of view, I honor any religion that someone is. If someone doesn't want a religion, great there too. But I say that the ultimate spirituality is self-love. And if I'm loving myself, I'm able to do things even with things that are tough or somebody that's a little offbeat or, you know, could be bad. I come from it in a different place, but I'm not unique. I simply decide to be that. And I have a zillion examples of that where something are really, really great. And then somebody has an experience where they have a bad thing, so they never serve anyone again. Mm. I'm not going to have one experience shape my whole life of being able to be loving. Yes, Steve. So, so I, I don't have strangers. I, the, the, when I go, when I'm in India, there will be people I've never met before that in a few minutes, I will love them and they will love me. They will see that. And by the way, that's not something special. This is available by anybody working with their being. Any client I've ever had, who they are when we're through is more loving, more gracious, more powerful, more committed, more able because I work on the state of being, not the state of doing. The book is all about being. The event will be about being. The speakers that come over, I will have a conversation with them on Friday. If there's any speakers coming over to be a hot shot or to be popular or to win approval, I don't want them. I want every speaker that's there to speak to the person in the chair about how they can move their state of being so that every person in the room I've promised people that know I'm going to India that before I get there, at least once a day, my state of being will be altered and improved out of who I'm being by serving other people. 
So conversations with Runjun, conversations with Kush, conversations with Rebecca Kumar. Every one of those, how I'm being shapes it. I won't be the same person I am tonight when I get to India. When somebody understands that, they have some ability to shape their future. And that's what everyone's doing. They are doing who they're being. So manage the being. Yes, Stu. Thank you. Stu, what is the power of asking? Oh, my goodness. Well, for, for people that may have a – again, people have different – Let me say something before I answer that. Remind me the question in case I forget it. I, I want to say something. In the book, and I invite everyone that they, they actually get a book and read about them, no matter what they do and anything else, whether they ever know I exist or this event, get the book and read it about them. In the book, I was competing in a national extemporaneous speaking competition in the United States. It went through five rounds. The final round, the question was, if you could do any one thing to alter the world, what would you do? And when they gave it to us, and there's five finalists, I laughed. And I was laughing because I was, this is so over. I so got this. Because I'd been thinking of that my whole life. And that shed I was talking about when I was asking myself questions. And I said, this is paraphrasing it. And this is so I can answer your question. So when I, when I say something about Christ or I say something about uh, Allah or I say something about Vishnu or Krishna, I, I'm just being a wisdom. I'm not, I don't have a dog in the fight. So the answer to my question of the thing that had me win for the United States, all the colleges and universities, is I said something like this. If there's, and, and most people won't like this because it's offensive to their particular belief system. But what I would do is I would change all the holy scriptures at night Like when Santa Claus goes and gives packages, except I'm going in with my little helpers and we're going to change all the scriptures, the Book of Mormon, the Old Testament, the Quran. Now, people that worship the Quran, don't touch that thing. I'm trying to, so, so just give me some space. I would change it so that every parent is teaching their children. The more we learn, the more we love. Not the more we learn, we got it, they don't have it, we got to blow them up. At the end, there's got to be an Armageddon. I change it because we're teaching each other to hate. It would have it be that everyone's equal. And I would do that. And I would do that worldwide. So when we woke up the next morning, man, I'm teaching. Isn't it great? I love that person. That person's great. Here's who we are. The more we learn, the more we get united, not we divided. So having said that, now ask me your question. What is the power of asking? Yes. Okay. The reason I gave you the background is because now I'm going to quote Christian scripture, not, not quoting no. the others. In the Bible, in the New Testament, the most often printed scripture is ask and ye shall receive. So asking is really, really interesting. If I could increase the things I would ask for or the number of times I would ask for something, the possibility of it happening would be there. If I don't ask someone something, the answer is always no. You get that? Yes. <laughs> I don't ask, the answer is no. I ask, I may get a no, I may not get a no. And if I ask and it's a no, I may go ask someone else and get a different thing than a no. I think asking is a very powerful way of creating. And I ask for a lot from people. I asked him, 
like I did with you the first time we spoke. I asked you to go read the book. I gave you assignments on how to read it, what to do. I gave you a video to go watch. I asked, I asked, I asked. And that asking can draw and grow someone really great, especially if what the asking for is contribution. I believe that asking is tied in with giving. And people go, how could that be tied in with giving? Because everything I'm asking is really an opportunity for me to give of myself to another person. Always. So asking for me isn't taking, it's giving. So if somebody thinks asking is taking and they don't want to do that, they're never going to do that. That's the short version. But I quote Christ, and that's why I talked about the different religions. I can quote some other religious leaders if you'd like, not about quoting them, because I, I honestly do not care what someone's religious belief is. I simply care that they live what they say their religious belief is. Yes, Stu. Thank you, Stu. Steve, many married people are quickly moving towards divorce uh, if they're having some issues in their relationship. Can people have a beautiful, loving relationship if they are having issues with their partners? Having issues with their what? Partners. Partner. Partner. Oh, yeah, sure. They're, they're, you ready for this? There isn't a couple on the planet that aren't having issues with their partners. They don't exist. You put a man and a woman together, you're going to have issues. That's part of the growth of being in a relationship. It isn't the issue. It's how I handle the issue. The, the issue is never the issue. How I handle the issue is the issue. So my wife's upset at me. It looks like that's the issue. No, she's upset at me. The issue is how am I going to handle that? Because if she's upset at me and the issue is how I'm going to handle that, and I'm saying, Oh, sweetheart, tell me how you feel. And she says, I think you're nuts. And that's not the issue. She called me a nut. It's how do I handle this? She called me a nut. Now you get two people operating from that. You can resolve anything. And every relationship has its challenges. Every relationship. No exceptions. Now, people can act like there's no challenges. That's great. Not much to learn. Yes, couples can have serious disagreements and challenges and with time out of choosing who they're going to be can heal that and stay together if they want to. And I'm not say divorce, stay together. I'm saying who someone is being, they can choose that. I have clients that I begin working with, husbands or wives or both, And they learn how to love another person by what they're thinking in their mind about that person. Literally, no two people will ever meet. I, when I mean that, I don't mean they won't say hello and shake hands. But when I look at you and you look at me, all I am is the ideas you have about me. That's all I am. I I am to you the ideas you have about me. And you are to me the ideas I have about you. Now put that in a husband and wife. I had one here today. And I said, stop looking over there, her being what you consider too heavy. Start looking over there and seeing this woman has born five children for me. This woman's amazing. Find what you love. Look for it and watch how beautiful that body becomes. And I mean that literally. So, 
it is I don't have an like I don't have little answers that are simple little quick things. They are processes. How do I be kind and loving to another person that's not being kind and loving to me? And aren't, most people aren't saying, who would I need to be when there's a problem? They become defensive. They become self-righteous. They become angry. And that's, watch that. They become that. Yes. Somebody isn't all of a sudden angry. They think a thought and choose to be angry at someone and then blame it on the other person. It's too. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Steve. Steve, why relationships are a daily creation? Because we, we, oh man, this is so much fun. So let's just pretend for all your listeners that there's some uh, validity in what I'm about, what I'm saying and what I've been saying. And, and listen to me to try to find the validity in it rather than debate me and find what's wrong about it. Because see, they can do that. That's what they're bringing to me. It'll make it easier for them to learn and me to speak. The same is true day to day. When someone wakes up in the morning, they wake up to a new day. My wife today, literally this day, when I'm out in the office with a client named Jim, come on, Becker. When you get to be my age, sometimes you can't pull the, the, the names out. I love him. I said, Jim, we're going to walk in my house right now. I have no idea what Amy is doing. I don't know the condition of anything. I said, so come in, because I wanted him to see what you're asking. We come down. I say, Amy, I've got Jim with me. Can we come in? She's just been through weight, I mean, uh, exercising. She's all sweaty, sitting here in the chair, working on the computer. And he's standing there. She doesn't know this is going to happen. He doesn't know this is going to happen. And I lean over to my wife and I say, Amy, I want you to know that what you said to me yesterday about what can go on in India inspired me so much that I've had conversations I wouldn't have had with other people that have created great results. I want to thank you for who you are in my life. I want to thank you for all the things you do. And then I said, I want you to know, Amy, to me, she's just a little bitty lady, you know. She's the strongest physical thing I've ever seen. She works out like crazy. And I acknowledge what there is every day. Sometimes I'll say to a client, When's the last, do you tell your wife you love her? Oh yeah, I did that last week. Oh my goodness, my goodness. I will try to find 30 creative ways in a day to make sure my wife knows that I love her. So I'm creating her. I'm creating her in my mind. In my mind, I say this, and these things are in the book for someone to learn for themselves. Because in my mind, if I'm thinking, I don't like this woman, she bugs me. That's who I have. And I don't do that. Here's what I do in a short one right here. Amy loves me so much that whenever she's away, she cannot wait to get home to be with me. Amy loves being with me. I'm 100% secure in Amy's love for me. Amy's love grows for me every day. Amy loves being with me. She thinks I'm amazing. She loves who I'm being. I am 100% secure in her. And I am wholly complete in my love for her. Now, I'm thinking and saying that. Now, Amy shows up. That's what I get to see because that's what's in my head. And that's all we're doing anyway. And somebody could debate it. But the guy drives in the garage. Oh, man, I got to be with that again today. Huh. How am I going to make that? Now, have that show up as anything other than that. Yes, it's a daily creation. And I create 
what I want to see and in loving my wife. I do that with the postal carrier, my clients, with you. I'm looking for the greatness in people. My choice of who I'm going to be is to look for the greatness and bring love forward no matter what's out there, no matter if it wants to be unkind to me. That's a choice. And I create every day. I create myself. I create my wife. I create my clients. Literally, we are creating the world we're seeing. We're the one that's the producer of what we say we see. It doesn't matter what we look at. It is what we see when we look at it. Just ideas. No, Steve, that's so practical at the same time and it's so self-evident. So that's what I'm, I'm going to say. Thank you. Steve, how to learn to be when life is becoming challenging? Well, notice what you said. You said life is becoming challenging. Who's looking out at that life and what are they calling life? They're calling life is becoming challenging. Guess who created that? So I could have the same challenge out there and not have that idea. And I could say, this life is so exciting and I get a chance to really grow here. This is going to be more fun than playing a game of chess with Bobby, whoever. And I'm not kidding. It's not a no. semantics. It's like, what am I, what am I going to see in that? What am I going to see when I look? Imagine, pretend I could do this. Pretend somehow I could tap your head. And the idea you had in your mind was, I really like humanity. I'm here to serve. And I can really, really deal with challenges of any sort. And that's what you saw. And that's what you felt. That's what you do. I can remember in 2009, Clay Mask that will be speaking to us. He came, now this will blow some people away. And by the way, I'm just one man with opinion. I don't have the truth. I'm not right about it. I'm just sharing what I know is accessible if you go to the source of being. See, I'm not, if, if I got in a room and took an IQ test, I may be at the bottom 20%. If somebody said, I want you to add uh, fractions right now, I'd say, I'd have to visit. I don't remember it. But what I do know is I know I can create my being. Who I'm being is a choice. Do you hear that? It's yes. a choice of who you're being. So with Clayt, I would ask him, I'd say, imagine who you could be. He literally, this is a real story. He went into a board meeting thinking he may be fired. So who's he being inside of himself? He's being, I may be fired. So I say to Clay, when's your board meeting? He says, Thursday. I said, we need to do something before Thursday because if you take that in there, that's how you're going to see everything they say. So we work on it. He takes different ideas into the board meeting. He gets a raise. Things happen. We don't think we're changing the world by what we see. That's the only way we get it. We have so much power. Every single person, if somebody has a skin bag, they got skin on them, and they got a bean in here, which they do, if it, unless it stops breathing, then they don't have a bean. That thing's, that's, that's moved into whatever it moves into. But as long as they have that, they can actually decide who to be in a situation before the situation happens. Literally, I could tell you story after story of me or any of my clients to decide 
This is going to be a great trip on this. Here you go. I'll give you one myself. I'm excited to go to India. Th- by the way, thank you all of BNS's listeners for uh, trying to hear that I'm wanting to contribute. I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm just trying to share. <laughs> when I go to India, I have worked on my being, who I'm going to be. In the book, it calls it a document. I've worked on my being, so here's what I know. When I go to India, if our plane is hijacked, I still know who I'm going to be. I'm not going to change who I'm being because someone's stealing the plane and going to run it into something. That's what they're going to do. I am going to be who I am, and being that place, I'll be more level-headed what to do, including if I'm going to die. If I go to the hotel, the Sahara Star, and my room isn't any good, that's not going to change who I'm being. I'm going to be who I am, and my room wasn't very good. If I speak, and at the end of me speaking, people throw tomatoes at me. I'd prefer they didn't, but if they did, it wouldn't change who I'm being. And if at the end of me speaking, they stand up and applaud, thank you, but it doesn't change who I'm being. I'm decided who I'm going to be before something happens. And I'm going to be loving kindness. I'm going to be things that I say to myself. I am generating that. And there is not a person on the earth that isn't doing exactly what I'm doing. They're just unconscious of what they're doing. And the results aren't good, so they think it's about the world. That is Whatever the word is, it's not a swear word in India. It's like what comes out of a cow's butt. <laughs> no, Steve, that, that really answered the question more than uh, what I asked for. Thank you. Yes. Steve, how to create a positive flow of money into our life? Wow. See, money is as inanimate as a brick. It doesn't think, it doesn't move. It's something we exchange. So what if money is no different than creating a relationship or what if money is no different than deciding how I'm going to be about something. So if I have ideas in my being that money's hard to come by, who am I being? If I have the ideas, money's hard to come by. I'm being money is hard to come by. Okay. Now let's go back to what I said about being as a seed and doing as the fruit. If I'm planting the seed, money is hard to come by. And that's an actual tree called money is hard to come by. When I get the tree to grow, what tree is going to grow? Money Money is hard to come by tree. And we think it's something else. My relationship to money is what generates or moves it away from me. My children, when they're young, they ask me. I say, money is the easiest thing to come by simply by having a good idea or a service. So they're not taught, there isn't any of it. You can't get it. It's hard to make. It's hard to get. I'm going to drag my knuckles. If somebody wants to alter the relationship with money, they must alter the relationship of being with the idea of money. And I'm, I'm not a theorist. I, that's, I do that. I work with that. I work with people on that. But there's nothing different. Money is not different than sex, meaning my relationship to something gives me the thing. Does yes, that make Steve. sense? Yes. Yes, Steve. Yes. And most people are all goofy about money. Like they think that's it in life. It's just a thing. And when somebody gets it as a thing, they don't have to worship it or beg for it or get it. It's like easy to come by 
because it flows. Yes, Steve. Now, some of you say, hold on a second. You're going to see something over here where there's people with no money. Give me the people with no money. Let me work with them to shift their ideas of how they see themselves. They will have money. They will have houses. They will have cars. They will have shoes. When I go to places, there's a place called Durango. It's the next step to prison. And there's a lot of people in there that are going to go to the next worst thing because of what they've done. And I'm listening to people talk, and they're, they're talking about, I'll give them more punishment. We'll do this and we'll do that. And they'll say, you can't punish a way of being out of someone. It will just make them more angry. If I can take that person who in his mind thinks, I got to stick it to the man. Everything's against me. This is no good. I can't make it. And I have some time with working with his thinking. He won't be in jail anymore. Not because I punished him. He shifted what he sees as valuable. This is our life. No one's exempt from this. No one. There's no one right now that is not doing what they do based on who they're being, including my answer to every question. And who I'm being right now is I'm being someone to give my soul to the Indian people so that they can see And man, there's a ton I can learn from them. So it's not like I'm coming to teach them something. But so they can see that the deepest spiritual level is being what makes us united as a race is that we're, it isn't Indians, Americans, Soviets, da, da, da. It's, we have one race. It's the human race. And it's a human being. What makes us common is that each of us are a being. And we are creating who we're being in the moment. And if we decided as a group of beings to create great things outside of ourselves and inside of ourselves, in a very short order, we would have order, prosperity, dignity. It's not accidental we have what we have. We have it because of the way we think we are. That's it. Yes, Steve. 100%. Uh, more than 100%, I understand this. Thank you. Steve, what is the importance of doing what we say we will do again every one of these questions i could spend hours to discuss so it's not just a little chopped up thing but as a as a first possibility when someone can trust what you say they can count on you and things work if i say let's have a meeting at 10:00 and there's six of us supposed to be there and only three show up we we can it doesn't work we got three people missing so how i am about doing what i say is i practice it because i know that doing what i say is a state of being being my word there are people that are being their word so if they're being their word they keep their word and then there are people who are being their excuses so if you plant a being excuses tree what do you get being excuses a being excuses tree a bunch of them it's not rocket science So if I keep my word, I can create powerfully. When I keep my word over and over again, I can get to a point that I can predict the future based on my word. I will have clients that will call me and say, "Hey, I need your help on this. Will you do this?" And they don't even ask me what the this is. They say, "Will you?" And I say, "Yes." And they say, "How can you say yes? You don't even know what I'm going to ask you." because i know i have the ability to get done whatever i say not necessarily myself but if i say it's going to happen it happens not out of force or will or i'm cool it's i practice being my word again i go back to deity on this 
in the Christian scripture and in other scriptures of the creation, it says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light. Integrity of God. Getting to where what I say matters. And when I say for myself, with practice, I'm not perfect. I don't want to be perfect. But I practice saying what I say so that someone can count on me. My children say, Dad, the greatest thing we love about you is we know we can count on what you say. And if I can begin to count on myself, and most people can't even trust and honor what they say to themselves. Oh, I'm going to lose this weight. And then they don't. Oh, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to, they don't even trust themselves. So one of the advantages, you start to trust you. And if I'm trusting here, I become trust. I cannot produce something greater than myself outside of myself because I'm the one that has to see the thing that I'm producing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, too. Steve. I love you. Yes. Thank <laughs> I you. I love you too, Steve. Steve, what are some things we should keep in mind while we are giving an advice to others? Well, again, wow, that's, I wish we had six hours for that, I, that question. First of all, for me, I don't give advice. I work with people through a committed space of how interested are they to actually hear what I have to say. And if they don't have any interest in what I have to say, I don't say it. I call that, if you do that, I call it spitting into the wind. <laughs> Boom, it's hitting you back in the face. So first is to see, you know, who do I have the right to give advice? Are they even asking me for it? Then if someone asks me for something, I'm going to create something just like I did with you. You said to me, hey, how could I do an interview with you? That's a simple question, right? Yes. I don't give you advice. I freaking commit you to do stuff so your life improves. So if I'm gonna, I don't give advice, I work with somebody who wants to hear something and I commit them to do it. And in most cases, I commit them to do the thing I'm gonna say before they know what the thing is. And they trust that I'm doing that for them. So just like what I'm gonna do right now. Watch this. Your listeners are seeing me however they want. It's a, it's a broad spectrum. Some people have turned this off already and said, that guy's nuts. Other people are going, man, I want to hear more of what he has to say. And inside of that, I'm creating. I'm saying that when, when someone becomes their word and they honor themselves as their word, then what they can say is create something and someone can experience and feel it and know it's going to happen. And I'll give you an example. I'm not giving you my advice right now. I am telling you what would be really great for your listeners. Here's what would be great. Listen to what he has to say about the event in Mumbai. Go figure out how to get a ticket to Mumbai. I'm not trying to sell tickets to Mumbai. Get a ticket. Go cross out February 25th or go look at February 25th and get ready to move whatever's there that you can and be there because what will occur is if you commit to be in that room, you will learn pr principles about being just like you have in the short period you've done it that will alter your life. And there will be people from all over the world and the most important people to me are the people of India that are right there in Mumbai. If I had a week to go ahead, I'd go door to door and bring people to that. Can you hear me? Yes. So, 
I'm not giving advice. When I suggest read this book, that's not advice. It's like this. Get that book and alter your state of being. You will thank me when you do. And it will be profound to you, your wife, your children, your employees. If I could come over to Mumbai and thank you, Rebecca, for sending me this book. <laughs> I read everything about it. I even went and bought me a watch uh, from the company. I would go over and I would say to somebody in those companies, how would you like to improve your productivity? And they're saying, who's this guy from America? What's he doing? What's he know about? I said, give me your top five executives. Give me a day. I need them to read a book, read about themselves and be in this event at February 25th. And I promise you the productivity of your company will go up. Because as people get a new sense of being, they move and the doing becomes automatic. So if someone got in there and got generated, who I'm going to be is a true contribution to my life. They're going to do stuff they wouldn't do otherwise. If somebody comes in and got to the state of being, I'm going to be a team player. And you have five people on the same team doing that, it explodes. Thanks for listening. So no advice. I don't have advice. I don't give advice. I listen, I help, and I commit people to grow them. I don't want anything from them when I'm doing it, except to give them growth in their being. And I mean that. Hey, Steve. I, I experienced this, so I know this. <laughs> yes, Steve. Steve, how did Don Budinger influence you? How did he influence me? Yes. I, 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 I don't have enough good to say about him. When I met Don, one day he said to me, I, I put my elbows back like this, sitting in a chair, and my shirt was ripped. And he said, your shirt's ripped. I said, oh, I'll have to get me a new one. And I thought that it was over. It was just the end of the conversation. He said, how much did you pay for that shirt? And I was really proud. I paid $9.99. Like, I got this really inexpensive shirt. And so he just points that out. Then I cross my legs like this, and he sees the bottom of my shoe. And the bottom of my shoe, has, it's worn out. And he says, your shoe's worn out. How much did you pay for those shoes? And I said, $19.99. I got them at Kenny's. I was so proud of this money saving. And he taught me this, that there's something difference between cost and value. He said, you paid $9.99 for that shirt and you're going to have to replace it four times in the year. I'm wearing a shirt that will stay good and I'll have for three years. He showed me that the car he's driving that costs four times my car would be a better investment than my car. He did that with clothes, everything. He taught me to see value, not cost, value. That's one of the many things. Anything he did, he touched it, turned to be great. He is an influence in my life, one of the greatest people in my life. I love him with all my heart. And, and most people have that impact on me because I'm open to learn from everyone. Steve. Steve, how to listen powerfully? Can you talk about heart-centered listening? Yeah, these are, these are, like I say, these questions, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to give snippet answers because anybody who's got a quick answer for that, that's probably not very powerful. It is quick on an interview. Listen, how I know I'm listening with my heart is, first of all, I'm actually listening. I can't listen with my heart when my head isn't even listening. And I'm gearing up what I'm going to say while they're talking. 
So the first thing I'd have to get is I'd have to be able to listen with my heart. And most people don't. They're listening with, do I agree? Do I disagree? Do I like how he looks? Do I trust him? Is this any good? What's his background? We're not listening to anything. Again, I'll go back to, no, I won't say the name. That way, if it's, they don't like it, it won't. So I have a client that I'm working with. And he says, my wife wants to meet you. I'd been working with him two years. Now I knew he had a wife. I'd never met her. She comes in. We're having a session together. I'm listening to her and doing what I would do when I'm not on this side of answering the questions. When I'm asking and working with someone, I'm listening to her in such a way that as we're doing it, she begins to weep. And I said, do you want to tell me what that's about? And she looks up and she said, I've never been listened to like this in my life. That's heart-centered listening. It's not something you teach. It's not a technique. It's you're not in your head. You're with the person and you care. Not the truth, not the answer to your question. A facet on the diamond of the answer to the question. It helps if you're appreciating who's sitting across from you. It's easier to listen. It's even easier to listen when you see the greatness in them. When I look over, I see a divine being there. So I'm interested in listening to them. And I hear things that other people don't hear because they're not listening. I'm not a better listener. I'm actually listening to what they say. Comes from a state of being. Who I'm being is a heart-centered listener. And what I do is I leave my mind behind and hear them. I call it ticker taping. In the olden days, when you bought stock, a ticker tape would come out. It would tell you what the prices of the stock is, and it would just give you information. It has no emotion. So when I listen to people with a very difficult story, I'm listening to it like what they're telling me. I don't put a bunch of emotion they have in it, and I don't put my judgment in it. So they have this story they can tell me, and I can have a simple way of being with them. And they're like, how did you see what to do? I didn't get lost in it. I observe. I don't absorb when I listen. Well, <laughs> I'm there as a listener, not as a fixer, not as having the answer, not as giving any advice. Sometimes I've been with a client. Her name is Ayanna Van Sant. She wrote the forward to the book, and I invite everyone, read that forward when you read those first two pages about it. And I'm with her for almost five hours. And in that time, I probably said 100 words. I simply said, and meant it, tell me more. How was that for you? I'm not being a psychiatrist. I wanted to know. She wrote me an email when she went back to the East Coast, if somebody found the email, they would think, I must be having a relationship with her. The, the love that she shared with me out of feeling heard. Can you hear that? Yes. Yes, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Steve, if you do something for others, they often say that you have made my day, something like that. If there is a course called How to Make Someone's Day, then I think you will earn a PhD on that. Why do you like to make someone smile or why do you want to do that for others? How can we start doing that for others? Well, I think it's it's a great way to enjoy and love life. Yes. And I and I yes. went when I wake up in the morning and it's not like a burden 
It's not like a to-do list. It's a natural thing for me to want people to feel good about their life and find the best in something. And I look at ways to do that, anything from smiling, opening a door. Here in America, in Arizona, there are what's called these older ladies, they call them blue hair and gray hair because they're older and their hair's blue or gray. Well, what I know is women age, they're not what they were when they're 30. And by the time they get older, what we do in a society, probably not in India, it's beautiful the way they do three generations in a home. So you get old over here and you're just put out there and so what? So as people get, as they age, I know that the last thing a woman has any real control over is her hair. They love to go to the hairdresser. So their body's all wrinkly, they're looking old, nobody looks at them. I go into every grocery store and before I begin my shopping, I find one of those ladies and I walk up to them and I say, and I mean it when I say it, your hair looks lovely today. You would think they won a $100,000 lottery and that is easy to give. That is easy to give. Start with small things. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to your wife. Be kind to your dog. I do it because it makes a better world. I don't do it so I get something. The minute I do what I do, I feel great because I was willing to do it. And someone who may not want to accept it, that's okay. That's okay. I'm not offended by they didn't want help or love. It's okay. Yes, too. Every one of the people in your audience, if they just, when this is over, and they wherever they go, in their homes, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, wherever they're at, just go find someone that's in your world and tell them one thing you like about them. Watch what you can do in just one conversation. And I'm not talking about BSing them or blowing sunshine or trying to get in there. I mean, genuinely tell them something you like about them. Mm. And watch what happens. Picture a room full of people doing that. For those who choose to read the book about themselves and those who choose to go get a ticket and be in that event, I promise them this. They will never experience anything like what's in that room when you have a bunch of people coming from being loving. And you will experience it. And the people you had read the book, they'll experience it. And people will say, I wish I had had this person with me. Well, don't wish that. Go get February 25th, mark it off. Then out of committed space, get the book and read it. And between now and getting there and reading the book, think of the person you love most in the world or you'd like to help most. Go share your own experience with them about what the book did. Get them to go with you. Not... So there's a book sold or an event. The only thing we want people to pay money for is so we can donate it. And you know what? If you saw a price of a ticket there and you really got what it is, give more so we can give more to them. This is not about us making money. Yes. And I got a client named Roxanne Beck, and I've invited her to come four ways to Sunday, and she's got her own thing going on. And she sent $500 to say, I'll be there in spirit. So she basically bought one of the tickets and she's not going to be there. Then I have clients who have paid, bought five tickets, five seats for five people and they're going to be there. If they're just saying, if you read the book and you get committed to it, there's a seat for you. That's a state of being. Picture a group of people that are all prepared 
in a room with that going on, it will be extraordinary. Yes. From that place, those speakers will sound like angels. Yes, Steve. Yes. Steve, what is the number one trait that made you the ultimate coach? Well, let me talk about that for a second. <laughs> I don't know what that is. And um, the ultimate coach isn't a title I took upon myself. Yes. Just like uh, LeBron James doesn't call himself King James. All the other basketball players say that's King James. Or Michael Jordan didn't say, hey, I'm Air Jordan. Or, or Beckham doesn't say how great of a football player is in England. Other people say that. One of my clients that I coached for years, when the domains of uh, GoDaddy and domain names came out, he was at GoDaddy at the actual physical building before it was, you know, it's like in here in Arizona. He calls me up and he says, hey, there is a name here, a domain, and no one in the world should have this other than you. And I said, what is it? He said, the ultimate coach. He told me about it. And that was a gift to me. So why I'm called the ultimate coach is people say that. What's the one thing that has me be the ultimate coach? I don't know. I think there's a facet of things. If I had to pick, pick one thing that makes me be who I am, say this again, I'm not in this event that we're having is not about coaches. It's not about leaders. It's about being. And from being, you can be a leader, you can be a coach. I am not coaching people to be anything except to be the best them that they can be. Can you hear that? Yes. And, and you're the one who knows. And when you access that being, you'll see the power that you have. Yes, Steve. Steve, tell me, who are you? Here's how I would answer that for anyone, especially for your listeners. Do you want to know who I am? You want to know my name or who I am? Which would you like? Most people, when somebody says, who are you? They answer and tell them some name. I am not my name. I was given a name by my mother. If you want me to tell you who I am, I'd be glad to. Now, before I say it, I want you to know that who I say I am isn't in competition with who you are, who some other person is. Some of the things I say, some other person could have too. I don't own them. So as I tell you who I am, I'm going to say something about it. Otherwise, people are going to go, what? So ask me the question again. Steve, who are you? I am the universe. Love is, I am that. Be still and know that I'm God. Not your God, not the God. God with a little G. Meaning I create. I create what I see, how I react to it. Be still and know that I'm God. Now, in my flavor of what I got brought up in, in Christianity, I say I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. But I'm not talking about the airbrush Christ or the religious Christ. I'm talking about the Christ who would whip, who would braid a temple, braid a whip in the temple and clear out the temple, or the one that would forgive the harlot. I'm that Christ. I'm the loving Christ. Not the Christ, I am a disciple of his. But I'm also the disciple of many other people that I've studied. But I simply say that because that's what I grew up in. Can you hear that? Yes. Someone else may be, I am a devotee of Krishna. Great. I don't care what they believe, I care that they live what they believe. 
I am consciously aware of other people's points of view, and I honor the right to have a different point of view. I am deeply moved by spirit, the power of all creation. So somebody says, who are you? I say, man, I'm deeply moved by spirit, the power of all creation. That's who I am. So that's what I see. I'm moved by the tree that can grow fruit, that I can put something in the ground and have it do this. Or just think that a car, that the metal of a car can come out of ore and something happen and they shape it. I'm deeply moved by spirit. I'm loving kindness. I am that no one is worthy of my judgment and everyone's worthy of my love. I am graciously authentic. I'm strong, healthy, and attractive. I am happy, peaceful. My heart is filled with peace. I am divine intuition. I am connected to infinite intelligence. I experience extraordinary discernment and decision-making power. Now, if that's a seed, I experience extraordinary discernment and decision-making power, and I plant that seed. I'm extraordinarily have extraordinary discernment and decision-making power. That's the seed. What is the tree going to be? Extraordinary decision-making and discernment. Can you hear that? Yes. I am that I do not sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff, including death and dying. I am that I have no complaints. You will never hear me complaining. Could I complain? Yeah, there's plenty to complain about. But when I complain, that's the seed I'm planting of my being. That is what I will reap. I distinctly remember forgetting that, and that is my past. And I spoke about that earlier. I don't wallow in it. I just use it to lead, guide, and inspire. I am madly in love with my gorgeous, sexy, vivacious, brilliant, loving, kind wife, Amy Blake Hardison. I'm extraordinarily patient with all living things, especially Amy Blake Hardison. I live, I love, I learn, I serve, and I bless all of humanity every waking moment of my life. This is who I am, BNS, and my mom named me Steve. Thanks for asking who I am. I am not my name. I have a name. Steve, how does it differ from an affirmation? In my opinion, the declaration of someone creating themselves through their state of being, in order to really do that in a beautiful way, one would have to build the foundation and see the ideas that are underneath these things called affirmations or declarations. Many people that do affirmations will write down some fancy things to say, and they will build it on a faulty foundation, meaning they'll build these ideas on ideas that are, I can't make it, I'm no good, I'll never be, I'll, no one will ever like me. And they're putting on it, I'm going to be successful. So the foundational of work is the difference between a declaration and affirmation. With a declaration, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm not even trying to get anywhere. I'm coming from a place. I am coming from love is, I am that. I'm not trying to get to it. I'm coming from it. People will say to me, hmm, declaration, affirmation, what's the difference? The difference is the depth of the work. A declaration will come out of the body of someone who says, I forgive myself for judging myself as a felon. I forgive myself for judging myself as cruel. Because they're doing it all the time, even if they're out of prison or whatever it is. 
So I, if I'm thinking I'm a felon, go ahead and try to build some cute affirmation on top of that. So it would be removing the idea, and whether it's a felon or I'm no good or I'm fat or I'm not smart, it's all the same. They're ideas. So if I work with that, I forgive myself for judging myself as being poor. For the truth is, now this is a declaration, I'm going to forgive myself for judging myself as being poor. Every time I think it, I forgive myself for judging me that, as like that. That's that, I don't have to be that. For the new truth is, I'm prosperous. I have the ability to earn and create. Now, if I judge myself that, as much as I judge myself poor, I'd have that. That's the difference between a declaration and affirmation. One other thought. People say to me all the time, BNS, how can you sell people like BNS that you love him? How can you tell people at the end of a conversation, these things you call strangers, that you love them? How can you finish your texts, your emails with loving you, be blessed? And I say to them, BNS, I ask them a simple question. BNS, is there anyone in this world that you don't know, that you don't particularly care much for? And are there some people in this world you don't really know and you dislike a lot? Are there any people in this world that you don't know and you hate? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. So if you can do that, why can't I love someone I don't know? <laughs> Simple. It's not rocket science. It's a choice. Yes, Steve. Steve, now we have questions from some people you love. So I know everyone, okay. <laughs> you love everyone. So Becky Robbins has a question for you. How oh. how quality time remaining QTR affects your own state of being and how that could affect everyone coming to the event in India? Yes, thank you. So for me and my wife, we have a distinction called QTR, quality time remaining. I'm 67. She's 63. We have four kids, 11 grandkids. I have clients. I have whatever I'm doing in life. And so we have the quality time remaining. If I walked over here, I'm going to do it. Hold on a second. This is, this is at my desk. I went over to my desk. And at my desk, I have three calendars. I have today's date. That's right there. I have this number. This is 24,570. That's the number of days I've been alive. This is a other calendar. I'm expecting to live about 88 years. Now I could die tomorrow or I could be 94. But if I lived 88 years, I have 7,873. When I get up in the morning, that will say 7,872. This is the time I have left remaining if I live that long. And we never know how long. But I know it's a lot less than that which I've already lived. And so I'm going to take this And I'm going to reduce any disagreements, arguments, and things that waste my quality time remaining. And I live from that. And sometimes I'll go over to my wife. There may be some disruption. I say, QTR. Do we, do we want to spend time with that? Really? Will it matter? And yes, and that can be done at 18. You have quality time remaining while you're still in high school. You have quality time remaining my last year of college. quality time remaining before I'm married. Well, so you don't have to be an old dude. 
even, even though I play basketball with kids half my age. <laughs> yeah. Steve, Chris Doris has a question for you. What is the most valuable practice that you have ever incorporated into your life? First of all, BNS, I want to acknowledge you for putting this program together, getting these different questions and doing all of this. All your preparation is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Say the question again for me. What is the most valuable practice you have ever incorporated into your life? Wow. There are so many. Probably one of them is the idea that suffering is optional. that if i actually inquired of my ideas i might see that in my mind is a lot messier than what's actually happening in reality and that's from a a, a woman named Byron Katie and i think that might be one of the things it's like um things are really really messy in our head even more messy than they are out there in the real world so if we would just sort our head out a bit we'd sort out the world and i could give you one of those it's the best every 10 minutes at a different time i don't have one that's one there's, there's a bunch of those and thanks chris doris thanks steve steve emily penton and uh, marlen has a question for you how do you get into the right energy to pursue a goal to pursue a goal yes Well, I don't know that there is a right energy, but okay. I think that what I do is I I I just live from a state of being. The 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 Chicago Tribune came out to interview me one day and they said, "We heard that you don't you're not you don't use goals and you're not interested in goals." And I said, "That's not accurate." What I said was, "Where I'm coming from is more important than where I'm going to." So people are all into the goals. I'm not I said I don't have goals but what I'm interested in is where am I coming from who am I being on the way to my goal because who I'm becoming is more important to me than what I get so say I want to be a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever or whatever and I get there and I have the thing but who I become is a crook or who I become is unkind see and it's not mutually exclusive but what I want to be sure is where I'm coming from because if where i'm coming from is centered it won't matter where i'm going it won't matter what the goal is it will be beautiful and if i get to a goal and it doesn't matter where i come from it won't be fun and i won't have enough money and she won't be cute enough thin enough etc 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 so my energy isn't about the goal my energy is about managing who i'm being and who i'm becoming always it's simple my goal for the balance of my life is to see how many people i can love learn from and serve in this lifetime and what i manage to get to that is who am i being loving kindness that's what i do it's it's a moment by moment thing that creates i'm not against goals i'm really for who am i being coming going to the goal and if my goal takes me away i'm becoming it's not a very good goal Steve, yes, Steve. You get the booby prize, <laughs> in my opinion. Steve, would you like to issue a seven-day challenge to the subscribers? I, I would like to uh, issue a one-day challenge. Okay. Here's yeah. my challenge. Now, by the way, I don't know any of these questions you've asked me. I hope your audience knows that. I haven't, I haven't seen any of these. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I will take a second, uh, uh, Steve, to the to say something to the audience. Yeah, uh, actually, like uh, guys, I did not even say even one question prior to this interview to Steve, and everything that you are seeing here is spontaneous, and that's the mark of uh, Steve. So that's what I wanted to get out of this interview, and I saw this multiple times in this interview. So please do <laughs> go ahead. Thank you. So for me, I don't have a seven-day challenge. I have a challenge of this moment, this present moment. And here is the challenge I have. And I promise you, if those who accept this, it will be life altering. And the challenge is this. Go over to www.theultimateexperienceindia.in and get a seat to this event as soon as you can. And know that the money will go to a great cause. Then, after you've committed to get a seat, not a seven-day challenge, a right-now challenge when you hear this, like at this time, jam up the computer for the seats. Go get a seat. Immediately after committing to get the seat, then go and get a hard copy of this book, get a uh, Kindle copy, or get it on Audible, and read it and listen to it about yourself. And as you have an experience that you will have, see who else you can bring with you so that they have the experience. That's my one-day challenge that if you do it, will alter your life. And I promise that. All you'd have to do is read the book about you and be in that event. And I promise you, there'll be some of you who hear this and actually do it, and you'll think, oh, I would love to take my brother or my uncle, but I didn't want to bother them. And when you're in the event, you're going to kick yourself in the hiney because you're going to go, that's would have been great. Or your boss or your cousin or your ex-wife. That's my one-day challenge. I don't have a seven-day challenge. And I wouldn't make one up. But I do challenge you, every listener listening to me, to immediately go and get yourself a seat. Then, because you committed to the seat, get the book and read it like BNS has read it. He's had an experience so extraordinary. He's enrolled four, five other people to read the book and be at the course. That's what I would ask. And I thank all of you for listening to me. And I, it's an honor to be with you. And I hope there's been something that has led you to you, even if I'm doing the talking. Thank you so much, Steve. I don't want to say anything else. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. See you in Mumbai. I call it the miracle in Mumbai. Thank you, Ranjan Kumar. Thank you, Indian team. Thank you for the people over in London and the people in Arizona that are helping. Thank you for the people that are volunteering. BNS, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Steve. BNS is the best. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who would benefit from today's conversation, please share this podcast with them. Also, we invite you to visit theultimatecoachbook.com so you can continue your personal exploration of being. There you will find links to join our wonderful community, get your own copy of The Ultimate Coach Book, and more. Simply go now to 
theultimatecoachbook.com. That's www.theultimatecoachbook.com. The link is also available in the show notes. We appreciate your support. Be blessed. Be you.